Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest, a returning guest. His name is Gregory Arms. His last name is spelled H-A-R-M-S. And he was on my show, I think it was this year uh, or last year, talking about a book he published titled No Politics, No Religion, How America's Code of Conduct Conceals Our Unity. So people, I will put a link to that in the show notes so people can listen to that. But I got uh, was reached out to by a contact about a book that I've read through, and it's a very timely book, and I think people should check it out. And it's on its fourth edition. The title of it is The Palestine-Israel Conflict, A Basic Introduction. And uh, it was selected as a choice under outstanding academic title back in 2005. He also was published in 2010, Straight Power Concepts in the Middle East. Is, which is an examination of U.S. regional policy in the context of U.S.-Israeli relations. And uh, so, and then also he published a book titled, It's Not About Religion. So he's published on, on different subjects. He's also lectures and blogged and published articles in Counterpunch, Truthout, Mondo Weiss, and Informed Comment. And has traveled to the region, so he's familiar, very familiar with that. So this book is really, uh, I think, important to, for people to look through the past history leading up to the current conflict that started October 7th, 2023. So Gregory Harms, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, William. Awesome. So for people who may not have heard our earlier talk, maybe you could just talk about your background, your interest in the Middle East, and what led you to write the first edition of the Palestine-Israel conflict. Um, well, I, I, it sounds kind of funny, but my first, uh, my first interest uh, was sparked by the fact that I was more or less angry with myself that I didn't know anything about history. <laughs> this is going back, you know, more than 20 years ago, 25 years ago. And I started reading about really all facets of history, world history, Chinese history was my one of my first interests. Um, and I started to focus on the Middle East because I thought, I don't know anything about what's going on there, you know. I heard. I see. You see these names in the in the press, you know, like the, the PLO and Yasser Arafat and so on. But I didn't know what any of them meant. I'm like, what's where's Palestine? I can't find it on a map, you know. So I just got frustrated that I didn't know anything about anything that was in the is in the news. And then when I ask people, like, what's what's going on there? Why are they? Why is there this ongoing grinding conflict? And people will talk about the Bible and, oh, you'll never figure it out. It's complex. And it's, uh, and I just, none of that sat right with me. I just thought none of that, that can't be true. So I started to bury myself in, 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 in what amounted to read, which became research. Uh, I started to, you know, read about these aspects of Middle Eastern politics and Middle Eastern history. And I was astounded by, I found it quite remarkable how uncomplicated the conflict really is, how simple it is. And I also found it remarkable as to how well documented it is. I mean, there, there's, there's really nothing we don't know. This stuff has been footnoted from here to eternity. And, you know, it's discussed in graduate seminars at elite institutions and, and even non-elite institutions. I mean, we know we know the history. This stuff's not a mystery. Um, 
it's not mysterious it's not you know well we can't make heads or tails of it no we believe me it this has been this 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 particular conflict between the Palestinians and the Israelis has been documented to the nth degree from both sides from both sides of the con all sides of the conflict really right I mean we know I mean yeah from the perspective of American foreign policy from the perspective of the Israeli agenda from the perspective of Palestinian nationalism we know everything. I mean, so, there's no, there's no, there's no stone that's been left unturned in terms of scholarship and documentation. We know there's nothing we don't know about this. It's not, it's not, it's not elusive. It's not mysterious. It's not, you know, this sort of haze of complexity. We know, we know very well what the story is. Right, and I mean, the thing is, is that that story leads up all the way to October seventh, twenty twenty three. Yes, it goes back, and you say in your intro, even you you mentioned everybody kind of says the same thing. They've been fighting for thousands of years. Yeah, this they, goes back to the Bible. Yeah, so right. these are common axioms, almost like of the, when people like talk about this conflict. That's what's used in and in, in, in currently today. Like I've actually been at a dinner table talking about this within the last month, and literally a family member said. Oh, they've been doing this for a thousand years. So it was kind of amusing to me. You hear to see that, that same hear that constantly. I've heard yeah. that for 20 years. I've heard it, I hear it constantly. Yeah. So and it's totally not true. <laughs> so you you're saying you said in the pre-show it's a recent this is a recent conflict going back a hundred years, right? I would say, I mean, it depends, William. It depends on when you want to start the clock. I mean, you know. You could say the conflict started, you know, right after World War One. You know, tensions were building between the Israeli, or excuse me, between the Jewish Zionist population and the and the and the, and the Palestinian Arabs that were living in Palestine at the time. There were tensions being the tensions building like in the twenties. So, if you want to start the clock there, fine. I, I don't think I think it's a bit early. Um, personally, I would start the clock uh, at nineteen sixty-seven. Interesting. Why, when, why, why is that the, the first war? Or well, the that's the war? 19, that, yeah, exactly. That's the six day war. That is when um, Israel finished the job that they started in 1948 and occupied the remaining 22% of Palestine. So the UN handed the Zionist Jewish population. 56% of what was called mandatory Palestine. Okay. After the 48 war, that 56% becomes 78%. The armistice lines form what we call the green line. That is the line that designates the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. That's the green line. Now, fast forward to 1967 in the Six-Day War, um, Israel occupies, that is, takes military control of that remaining 22%, that is the Gaza Strip, the West Bank, and East Jerusalem. Everything beyond the Green Line now fell under Israeli control. And the Palestinians have been chafing under this military occupation ever since. 
They want to, the Palestinians want a state roughly defined by the green line. That is the 22%. They're not going to get the whole 22%, but that's what, that's the idea is that Palestine, the state of Palestine, um, which is now recognized loosely as a state by the UN, but it's not, doesn't achieve full, you know, sovereignty um so that's what is envisioned by the palestinians we want a state roughly defined by the green line the 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 dollars question of course is how much what percentage of the west bank the palestinians are going to get that is that is that that is the major uh, bone of contention when 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 diplomats sit down to negotiate is how, how with what percentage of the west bank can the palestinians hope to get and will it be contiguous because the there was a major uh negotiating you know uh there was a there was a summit meeting in at camp david in 2000 uh, with Ehud Barak, the former Israeli Prime Minister, Yasser Arafat, who was the head of the Palestinian, what became the Palestinian Authority, which was the Palestinian Authority at the time, and then uh, President, former President Bill Clinton, um, they talked about in at Camp David. They hammered out, you know, they got pretty close after Camp David, but the Israelis at the time presented a uh, map of the of the west bank and it was all chewed up and it was islands it was islands of territory and the palestinians are like this is a joke you know you you can't expect us to live on islands of territory surrounded by israeli control so the palestinians want territorial contiguity in the west bank and they're hoping you know Best case scenario, I, I suspect they get around, you know, it's in the 90, 90%, 90-plus 90 percent they could hope for in the West Bank. But the problem is that the Israelis are building settlements. That is, they're building housing for the Israeli population. Israel, or excuse me, Israelis can move to the West Bank, live there as settlers, in these housing developments called settlements, and that, which is totally in contravention of international law. Uh, you can't build settlements on territory that you've acquired by war, and you certainly, you certainly can't uh, move, your, move your civilian population into the, this territory. So this is all in contravention of international law. The Americans don't even like it, but they kind of look the other way. Um, this is a major problem so it's like you know uh the, the the metaphor of a pizza gets used so william let's say you and i are negotiating over a pizza how much of the pizza do i get how much of the pizza do you get right uh the problem is while you and i are negotiating over this pizza william i'm eating it right right and that's the problem Right, so it's still that's still kind of uh, that's been an ongoing kind of thing. You can see it's been swallowed up. The maps of Israel have changed. 
over time and uh, yeah like the palestinian population which was significant at maybe at the turn of the century it was like yes. half a million people or something like that uh has kind of lost its territories somewhat rapidly um yeah definitely so that's the root of the conflict right is that these uh jewish immigrants uh are are wanting all of the land especially on the on the farther more conservative right israeli is one state right much like hamas right so hamas they want will, they want they want uh they want to they have a maximal territorial agenda the israelis have always had this they want they want the whole thing they want from the from the jordan from the mediterranean sea to the jordan river they want that to be israel and they've made that perfectly clear i mean why would they occupy the west bank in the, in the gaza strip in 1967. why would they expand their 78 percent or excuse me their 56 percent to 78 percent in 1948 and then they just finished the job in 1967. so they've made their intentions very clear that they want as much of this territory as possible and they would yeah. love they would it would be an israeli dream come true if the palestinians just woke up tomorrow morning and left they're not making it easy for them to live obviously i think that it's basically an apartheid kind of situation but they also kept the golan heights right so they kept the golan heights but they gave back the sinai to egypt um after they gave the, they gave to the sinai back to egypt it was part of a part of a peace treaty negotiation yeah yeah so certain land they want the other i mean the historical promised land i mean they'd love the a, they'd love a chunk of jordan if they could get it i mean they'd take anything they can get you know they'd love the sinai peninsula they'd love you know whatever they whatever any square inch of territory they could get they would love but they can't can't have the sinai peninsula they can't have a chunk of jordan those are like forget it so they can just chew away at the west bank they don't care about the gaza strip you know um what's a, your thought about like i've heard it uh bandied about that the there's like an energy play for the gaza strip because there's been gas found in the mediterranean have you heard there, that there are some gas deposits off the coast i don't think that's a major a geopolitical calculation on the part of the Israelis. I, it certainly doesn't explain what's going on in Gaza right now. I mean, they don't. I mean, Gaza as a territory, as land, the Israelis have no interest. There's nothing there. I mean, there's no, I mean, nothing. But in terms of natural resources, there's it's just sand. It's nothing there. Ben, the um. There, I mean, there is kind of Palestinians that have been dispossessed of land living in Jordan, right? Isn't half of Jordan former Palestinians? And there's uh, so many Palestinians. Many, many, many Jordanians are can trace their lineage back to Palestine. There was a massive exodus um, after in 1948, and there's a uh, huge waves of, of refugees that left Palestine. And ended up in Jordan. So many Jordanians, if you could talk to Jordanians, uh, I have um, many of them can say, oh, like my grandparents are from Palestine or whatever. I mean, you hear it all the time. Yeah. When you're in There's a lot in the U.S. too, former Palestinians. And there was kind of a recurring, there was an yeah. expulsion in 48. There was a war, right? Everybody said, we got to get rid of this country that's declared its uh, sovereignty. 
What do you, what and there was actually a lot of Jews came back or came into Israel too at the same time people got expelled. Is that right? I, 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 I didn't hear the first thing you said, William. Well, I was just saying in 48, there was a war when the Israel, the state uh, uh, of Israel was. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, yes. But also, so there was expulsions, but also another wave of Aliyah of, ref, of Jewish people from even like uh, Middle East, other countries moved to Israel. Is that yeah, a lot of Jews, I mean, came, you know, running, came fleeing into, uh, came streaming rather into, into Israel, you know. After, after World War II, certainly after the 48 War, um, a lot of them from the surrounding Arab states, you know, the, the, they had Jewish populations that were everywhere, you know, in the, in the, in the Arab world. And they came streaming. Most of, most of that was uh, after World War II. After World War II, they came streaming in, yeah. And, I mean, the foundation, the idea was, or eventually the idea to return... I think it's a Jewish tradition, like next year in Jerusalem, they've been saying that, but there was persecutions all throughout Europe leading up to the Holocaust, and Theodore Herzl kind of, I mean, didn't he, yeah. wasn't, there wasn't, the notion of Zionism is fairly recent in history. Would you agree with that? Uh, Zion, yeah, Zionism was a, a political movement that took place, that took root, I should say, in uh in russia and poland at the time like the late 19th century and it was you know they were uh, persecuted and treated none too kindly by you know the czar and others um in in like these these waves of attacks called pogroms um and so the, the, the excuse me, the, 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 the these, these Russian and European Jews um, were kind of fed up with how they were being treated. I can't say I blame them. Uh, so they thought, oh, we're going to we're going to develop a homeland. We need our own country. OK, fine. You wouldn't you need your own country. That's fine. So, you know, they looked at parts of Africa, you know, and they looked everywhere, you know, Um and then they thought, well, Jerusalem, that's an easy sell. We'll just, right. we'll just go to Palestine. Okay, well, they went to Palestine. And they started in these waves of immigration called, you mentioned Aliyah earlier. There's, these are the Aliyah, these waves of immigration into, Pal into Palestine. Okay, well, there's a problem. Uh, the one Zionist writer uh, wrote, visited Palestine and wrote back you know, sent this, like, published this this essay, and he said, um, the bride is beautiful, but she's already spoken for. Right. It's, I mean, that area's been populated. Namely, there's, there's, there's already a culture here. There's, there's already people here. They're Palestinians. There's a new, there are newspapers. It's a very vibrant culture that's already here. So we're going to build a state and what are we going to do with these people? You know, that's that's They've always known. It was that's the Ottoman cool. Empire for what seven hundred years or something like that, like mm -hmm. all the way up to nineteen fourteen. Yeah, most of these populations, I mean, they viewed themselves as Ottoman subjects. You know, they didn't think of themselves as Iraqis or as Jordanians or whatever. Um, those countries didn't exist. Right. Those countries didn't exist until, you know, the 
the European powers, you know, divided up these ter- they divided up these areas in the midst of World War One. So it's the they, Sykes-Pico. Sykes-Pico. That, there you go. That, that's the Sykes-Pico agreement. You know, the, they just divided up this area, and Britain and France are like, okay, when this is done, when the dust settles in World War One, when the dust settles, we get this and you get that. That that's sort of how that played out, um, and that created these countries. You know, the things that we call Jordan and Iraq and Lebanon and Syria, these are all uh, artificial, almost uh, artificial yeah, lines. That, Somebody that, didn't even live there and drew up. Yeah, that so. is the correct word. They're artificial. They just, you know, Winston Churchill said, yeah, I, I, I you know, I, I created Jordan, you know, in, in the afternoon, you know. I mean, right. this, this is just dragging a stick through the sand. This is these it's just completely arbitrary. And it took it took it did not take into consideration like people living there and it divided populations and you know uh, tribes and clans and so on. I mean, it, it just it just it wreaked havoc. And one of the advisors to Woodrow Wilson at the time, uh, Colonel Edward House, he said, you know, watching this happen, he said. They're creating a place for future war. Right. He was right. He was totally correct. He was, he, he, yeah, he is spot on. He, he, he said this, the way they're dividing up this part of the world, this is going to end in tears. And he was right. right. We create these countries that, that, that don't you know they're they're art like you said they're artificial like okay now you're Jordanians now you're Iraqis now you're you know Syrians I mean that isn't you know so now you're Palestinians so then once you do that a sense of nationalism starts taking hold very quickly I mean if you and I you know it sounds silly but if I put on an orange t-shirt and you put on a blue t-shirt and we this like psychological opposition starts, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the, I'm the orange team. You're the blue team or whatever. And we start thinking like if I, me and a bunch of my friends start wearing the orange t-shirts and you and a bunch of your friends start wearing a blue t-shirts. Now, now that we create the, it creates this, 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 this opposition, you know, they get this adversarial mindset. sets in. I mean, this studies have been done on this. It's, 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 it sounds ludicrous, but and, and it kind of is, but it's true. So if you, if you divide, you know, if you, if you drag a stick through the sand and you say, okay, you're Iraqis, well, then they start thinking like Iraqis. They're like, well, okay, we're Iraqis. You know, it happened. It takes about five minutes. This sense of nationalism takes root. So it took place in Palestine, and the Palestinians are like, all right. Uh, these other countries are getting, you know, they're achieving sovereignty. These are becoming independent nation states. Why don't we? Except you got all these Zionist Jews flooding into Palestine, and you've got Great Britain, who's relinquishing a lot of their colonial holds because they were, uh, you know, this is after World War II and they're broke. Not, well, not broke, but I mean, they were they couldn't afford these programs anymore. Uh, but they wanted to maintain a foothold in Palestine. 
So now you got three. You got three. You get the confluence of three factors. You've got this developing Palestinian nationalism. You've got Zionism. And you've got British colonialism. Well, this does, <laughs> that, that doesn't work. You got three totally conflicting agendas in the same very small piece of real estate. Yeah, it's not a big country. It's like no, barely the size of Connecticut or something. Like I don't even know if it's even that big. I mean, it's just. I mean, we we're, we're here. We're reading about the Gaza Strip a lot. I mean, the Gaza Strip. Just to give you a sense of how not big this these areas are, the Gaza Strip. I I checked. It is almost precisely the same size as the Strip in Las Vegas. Wow. It's Nothing. it it. Yeah. It's it's nothing, you know. I mean, it, it's like twenty miles by five miles. It's it, it's it's. This is not. These are not big territories. Um, yeah. If you so, if you think of the Strip in the in Las Vegas, that's about how big we're talking about for the Gaza Strip. Two very different strips. Um, but yeah, it, they're tiny. I've been I've been from one end to the other. It didn't take long, let me tell you. But I mean, I've been one one end of the Gaza Strip to the other. I've seen. I've been. I've covered every square inch of it. Uh, I wasn't there very long, but we we covered a lot of territory in a you know in, in a short while. And um, yeah, it didn't take long. Not and what what's the like? I mean, they are now the enemy is Hamas, but Hamas wasn't always a factor in the Palestinian resistance, right? It's fair it it's a branch off of the PLO, right? Or, it's a branch off of the Muslim Brotherhood. It's a part of this Islamist uh resistance movement that took place in the Middle East. And Hamas became an organization in 1988. So it's a relatively uh new development. It's a resistance movement, and they 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 they've got their they got their start in um, um you know they were like building schools and hospitals and clinics and stuff like this. I mean that was their that was their agenda, you know. And then they had this this like resistance sort of agenda on the side. Um, you know things didn't getting tense until you know maybe the second intifada which i guess we'll get to um yeah well maybe you could talk about that the first and second intifada the first and intifada was was right before actually started right before hamas took root um that was in 87 and these were concerted organized re moments of res palestinian resistance against military occupation the second one started in 2000, and it went to about, at least some scholars will disagree, I would say around 2003 is about the latest, you could say, the, the second intifada. I was in I was in the region in 2002, and I, I would say even by 2002, the second intifada was done. I mean, there were a lot of bus bombings and a lot of acts of terrorism even while I was there. Uh, I saw some of them. Um, that was that was that was going on. There were ambulances ripping up and down, you know, ripping up and you know, 
up and down throughout West Jerusalem at that. I remember the hearing the sirens. I mean, that, that was almost a nightly occurrence. I mean, there was something all the time. But I mean, you know, I would say 2002, 2003, you could say the second intifada. So these were mom, these were uh, concerted, intense, uh, sort of concentrated, if that's the word, um, moments of resistance that the Palestinians were carrying out. The second intifada was far more violent than the first intifada. The first intifada, there were some violence during the first intifada, but not the second. And the second intifada was quite intense, quite violent. Um, and this is where I think Hamas kind of comes into its own. Um, Hamas is an Islamic resistance movement. So I, I've, I've been very quick to point out in my, my recent work that um, if um, if Israel didn't occupy, if, if Gaza had been allowed to to uh, do you hear that, William? Yeah, it's something in the background. Sounds like a blender. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I just wanted to make sure you heard that. Um, if if the Gaza Strip had been allowed to develop normally, like openly and freely, and you know, open borders, and you could just they could just allowed to do what they want, there wouldn't be Hamas. It wouldn't exist. The reason Hamas exists, it, there's a, it, it's a resistance to occupation. No occupation, nothing to resist. There wouldn't be a there wouldn't be a Hamas. Furthermore, Israel helped fund Hamas at the very beginning because they thought, oh, this is great. They, these guys can serve as a counterweight to the to the PLO because they didn't like the PLO. They didn't like Yasser Arafat. You know, they don't they don't like anything that represents the Palestinians. So they thought, oh, this is great. The, this can be a nice counterweight. We can play one against the other, and you know like a cat with a ball of yarn and um yeah i wonder what they think of their uh investment now right so what what's your view it's like is this going to end are they just the palestinians going to be kind of like elbowed out what's your kind of short and long term i i suspect i suspect that this will i mean it's pretty terrible way to do it but um i suspect that this will put the palestinians back on the diplomatic map they've been elbowed out by trump and by biden again uh the idea is to cut deals between arab states and just pretend that palestinians aren't there well, they can't, can't, they can't ignore the Palestinians now. So I think that this will put Palestine back on the map. And I think you're going to see some kind of hopefully robust diplomacy between the Americans, the Palestinians, and the Israelis with the involvement of probably Qatar and uh, Egypt, maybe the Jordanians, you know. Interesting. 
I think I, I think mean, I think it's gonna I think it's gonna I think we're I think you're gonna see a dialing up uh diplomatically, yes. I mean, yeah, after just how many people have died and stuff like that. It is interesting that the Abraham Accords were completed, but Palestine just nobody addressed that. It is something else. No, they just they, the Americans, you know, under Trump just decided that uh let's just pretend the Palestinians are there. And then Biden continued that. His diplomacy, he's been trying to cut a deal with the with the Saudis and trying to normalize relations between the Saudis and the Israelis. And he's doing this, he was doing the same thing. He was doing the exact same thing that that, that, that Donald Trump did. Let's cut deals. Let's 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 normalize relations between these states, but you know, in Biden's case, between the Saudis and the Israelis, and we're just gonna pretend the Palestinians aren't there. Well, they can't afford they can't ignore the Palestinians now. The Palestinians are front and center. So I, that's why I suspect when the dust settles regarding this 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 violence we're seeing in the Gaza Strip, uh, you're gonna see some hopefully, you know, in uh, some earnest diplomacy. Now, how many uh, Palestinians are under occupation? There was like 2 million in you got about the Gaza two point, Strip. Right? You got about 2.3 million in the Gaza Strip. Yeah. It's a huge number for that small of a space. I, the, the population density in, in Gaza is immense. It's, it's really packed in. Yeah, and half are like under 18. It's one of the highest population densities on Earth. You know, and the poverty is quite terrible. Uh, unemployment there is uh, just just about north of 50%. Um, Israel, yes, Israel did disengage is the word. Uh, they withdrew any kind of, you know, on the ground presence in the territory however israel still occupies gaza they control it they control the airspace they control the coastline they the 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 airport's been decommissioned they control the electrical grid they control the cell grid they control all aspects of 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 gazan life um and gaza life in gaza is is miserable it's a humanitarian catastrophe and these people live under humiliating, agonizing circumstances. So we cannot be surprised at what Hamas did on October 7th. I don't agree with Hamas's tactics. I sure as heck wouldn't want them running this country. But uh, I'm no big fan at all. I've written about this. I'm not a big fan of Hamas. But we cannot be surprised at what they did when you when you humiliate that many people uh and you make that many people desperate and you make that many people live in fear and you enrage that many people over two million in the case of the gaza strip uh then a small number of those people are going to really let you know it in an ugly way and that is how terrorism works. It works the same all over the world. If you if you if you if you if you make desperate an enormous number of people, a tiny number of those people are gonna really they're gonna pick up a rifle, 
They're going to fill a wine bottle full of gasoline. They're going to blow something up. They're going to kill people. They're going to take out public buses. They're going to blow up a pizzeria. They're going to do something. It happens every time. So, you know, CNN will have their quote-unquote terrorism experts. I'm not really sure what that is. I don't think any self-respecting scholar or journalist would refer to himself or herself as a terrorism expert. But, you know, I mean, if CNN invited me on to be a terrorism expert, I'd say no. I mean, absolutely not. But what, they don't even know what that means. Um, I just, what I just told you is how terrorism works. There, now we're all terrorism experts. <laughs> we can go, yeah, we, yeah. We can go yeah, on. They should be surprised. Like, I mean, if you're we can go on driving CNN people into poverty. Um, do you have time for a few questions, Gregor? Yeah, of course. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Uh, Joker asks, can you ask about children being moved to Egypt? Isn't that what the Israeli government asked of Egypt? Is, hey, open up Sinai and we can just push all these people into the Sinai? Yeah, they're going to, they're flooding. They're, they're sending a bunch of uh, kids that were in hospitals to, you know, receive medical care in the Sinai Peninsula. There's not much there in the Sinai Peninsula. I've been all over that area uh, along the Mediterranean Rim there. There's not much, but um, they can receive some kind of medical care without bombs being dropped on their heads. Uh, the question is, is how much is the Egyptian uh, government going to allow... Gazans to flood into the Sinai Peninsula. Uh, we don't know. Um, I can't imagine that the Egyptians are thrilled, and I can't imagine that the Egyptians would be just okie dokie with 300,000 Gazans flooding, you know, into Alarish. I, I just can't imagine that's a that's like a, a scenario that they're that they're fine with. So we don't know. We don't know uh, how this is going to play out and how many Gazans are going to end up in in in. I say Alarish because that's one of the one of the bigger towns that are close close by. Uh, it's on the right on the Mediterranean. Um, I, I just don't. I don't. You know, we don't know. I mean, how many? You know, how many? How many? How many Gazans are going to stream out of Gaza in through the Rafa? Through Rafa, you know, Rafa is the main sort of. Uh, it's on the border between Egypt and in in Gaza Strip and the Gaza Strip. Uh, it's like a it's like a port. It's like a, a checkpoint. You know, you get, that's how you get in and out of Gaza through through Egypt. And there's another one in the north end of the Gaza Strip called Erez, and that's how you get in and out of you know you go from Gaza to Egypt or excuse me to to Israel. Yeah. Gotcha. And then, have you, John, asked, do you know about the 1982 Yinan plan concerning Israel taking half the Middle East? Have you ever heard of that? You, the half of the Middle East? No, have I don't you heard know. Of, have you ever heard of the Yinan plan? The Yinan plan? I've heard of the Yinan plan. I, I, taking Israel taking half of the Middle East. I don't, I mean, they would love it. I mean, they'd be tickled pink to take half the Middle East, but I don't think that's... That's not going to happen. They're not going to. They can't. They can't take. Um, I mean, people aren't. The diplomats aren't thrilled with uh, them having the Golan Heights in Syria or the Shabba or Shabba Farms in Lebanon. I mean, the the 
they can't have a part of Jordan. They can't have the Sinai Peninsula. Israel's not going anywhere in terms of its external, you know, borders with, you know, Syria, Jordan, or Egypt. It's not going anywhere. That's not, that's not going to happen. The best that Israel can hope for is, uh, there's the pun is the, is the, um, is to just maximize how much they can, how much they can take control of the, uh, of the, of the West Bank, you know. Big ass. What do you think about the white phosphorus? Isn't that a war crime to use white phosphorus? Yeah. Are they, yeah. What's the what? What's the read the question again, John? Uh, Big says, "What do you think about Israel dropping white phosphorus on children's hospital?" Well, first of all, attacking a attacking a attacking a hospital is a is a war crime, and using white phosphorus is is criminal as well. They've used white phosphorus in Lebanon as well. Uh, they've used it in the Gaza Strip before. Um, this is not consistent with international law, and neither is attacking hospitals. I mean, you, there's much to do lately about the Al Shifa hospital in the Gaza Strip, and so you know, CNN's very proud they took their cameras in and showed the world a hole in the ground. You know, good for you, CNN. Well done. Uh, yep, that is indeed a hole in the ground. Um, and then the Israelis have, have supplied precious little evidence that the Hamas was, you know, using the Al Shifa hospital as a command center. It's a joke. It, the whole thing's a joke, you know. I mean, they found some guns. I guess they found some, you know, some a cache of small arms or something, you know. Like, oh, the Hamas was using this as a command center. I. You know, because then the, the this is part of the cover story that Israel is 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 attacking terrorist infrastructure. Well, that that could be anything. Right. We talked about the the population density. So so what's what's pop, what's terrorist infrastructure? That 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 means that means everything. Everything is terrorist infrastructure. Everything you you claim. Well, we we bombed that building. You know, it's full of people. It's full of people. Well. Hamas was using that building. What? What? Because one member of Hamas set foot in that building. Now it's a now it's a command center. You know, it's it's it, it's just ludicrous. They 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 they've killed thirteen thousand people, five thousand of of whom were children. They're just killing people. They're just killing civilians. And then they say, well, we're we you know, we're using precision methods, and uh, you know. Uh, we're using every means necessary, every means possible to uh, minimize. You're not mis- you you're not minimizing anything. You just killed thirteen thousand innocent people. And if your if your stated agenda is to wipe out Hamas, well, then I got news for you. Uh, you're doing the opposite. Because right. if I'm a young Palestinian and my family is now dead. And my neighborhood's been reduced to rubble and ash. Well, joining joining Hamas sounds pretty good by now. I'm right, trying, the, the cycle of violence is not going to stop. I'm trying the for the uh, eye for an eye kind of view. You can't, you can't fight. Ter- you yeah. cannot fight terrorism with a gun. 
yeah. or, or 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 tank or whatever you're going to use. It doesn't work. The the Americans tried to do this after 9/11. Uh, they said, oh, Al-Qaeda is in Iraq. They weren't in Iraq. Like, they found one Al-Qaeda operative who spent, like, five minutes in Baghdad. And, like, oh, look at that. Al-Qaeda is in Iraq. So, uh, you know, the, the it's Ameri- propaganda. It's propaganda, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. The Americans destroyed two countries in response to 9-11. And now, Al-Qaeda is in Iraq. Right, there were weapons of mass destruction where and, and then the too, cherry so. on that Sunday is ISIS. So we didn't fight terrorism, we made it worse. And Israel, if they were concerned about their security concerns, which they do have security concerns, if they were concerned about them, they would address the underlying problem. But now they're making it worse. They're not gonna wipe out Hamas, they're swelling their ranks. Yeah, they're making they're radicalizing. Yeah, Hamas. When this is done, Hamas will be bigger. I have no doubt. I mean, people keep thinking this is an energy play, and that's kind of what the questions are too. Like, no, I don't. I I don't see that. You don't see that. You don't appreciate that. I mean, former Israeli Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin said um, he said it decades ago, but I can't imagine the feeling is much different now as it was then. Uh, Yitzhak Rabin said, "Best case scenario." Gaza breaks off and falls into the Mediterranean. There you go. <laughs> There's the mentality. I mean, that's that tells you everything you need to know. Yeah, they they really the Palestinians and the Israelis they do not like each other. There's a lot of bad blood. Just really. And, and the the problem is the is the problem, William, is the occupation. What do you, what's the solution? Two states? Yeah, I, I think the, the solution is two states. A, a, a Palestinian state and an Israeli state. Um, that is the diplomatic point of departure. And people at the critical left end of the spectrum, you know, they've been saying, oh, the two-state solution is dead. They've been saying this for 20 years. Uh, it's not based on anything. It's just no, it's just like this no more Mr. Nice Guy kind of mentality. Um they so if 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 it's not a two-state solution what is it what do what do they propose well i'll tell you what they propose they propose a one-state solution and that's all israel needs to hear because if it's one person one vote between the mediterranean and the jordan river goodbye israel you're talking about changing the changing the come changing the name of the country and taking the Star of David off of the flag and goodbye Israel. Now, is Israel going to let that happen? Absolutely not. Are the Americans going to let that happen? No. Are the Europeans going to let that happen? No. Is that going to get any traction in the UN Security Council? Absolutely not. I can hear them laughing from here. So there's no way. A one-state solution in the short to mid-term is a non-starter. Because it means the end of Israel. Now, could we have a one-state solution decades from now? Maybe. Maybe. That's possible. I think that would be a good arrangement. One state between the between the Mediterranean and the Jordan River. One state. But not now. 
not even in 15 years. I mean, you're talking 30, 40 years. We could we could talk about a one-state solution, but not now. Right. And some of the Palestinians have been integrated into Israel, right? I mean, some of them are in the Knesset. And yes, there's, I mean, so it's not as cut and dried maybe as people think. Like some have uh, certain rights. and It's not all. Israel isn't just 100% Jewish. Right. So, I mean, no, it's, it's not 100% Jewish. It's vast majority Jewish, uh, Arab Israelis do have grievances against certain, you know, rights issues. They're viewed as second citizens, um, and so on and so forth. Uh, and then there's, of course, the Palestinians, but, uh, Israel would be tickled pink if they left too. Right. Like yeah. goodbye. You know, they could just march straight into the Mediterranean and disappear. And maybe Israel would be would be did we miss a question? I saw a question. One. There's another one. I think John says, Does he think this is a front to start a war with Iran with the US joining? No, I don't think, I think Iran's, Iran comes up a lot in the reportage, uh, in the reportage, I guess what I'm say. Um, the, Iran comes up a lot. Yes, that is true. Hamas does, is, is sponsored and supported by Iran. That, that's correct. However, I do not think that Hamas is a major foreign policy priority in Tehran. I think it's a cheap and easy way to stick it to the Americans and the Israelis. And, you know, if Hamas needs some guns or some money, here you go, go play. I don't think they much care. And I don't think Iran was involved in these attacks. Because that's what people are saying. There was money released. No, 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 no. There was no money released. There was Biden cut a deal to to uh, unfreeze some oil revenue. It was about I can't remember six billion dollars or something. Yeah, six billion or something. I can't remember uh, what the number is. Um, that money never never entered to never entered Iran. That money sat in banks in Qatar, and it's still there. So it's not like Uncle Sam just delivered these sacks of money to the Iranians. And even if that did happen, why would the Iranians just wake up one morning and decide, let's attack Israel? It doesn't make any sense. So it doesn't, the Iranians don't want to cause those kinds of problems for themselves. They, They really don't. These are rational actors. If you talk to the CIA, if you talk to the Israeli intelligence, they all use the same language. The Iranians are rational actors. Most of what you read about Iran is wrong. And this 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 money being delivered to Iran is wrong. Uh, Israeli and American intelligence have been very clear about this. They think both parties, both intelligence communities think that... Um, uh, that the Iranians were surprised by these Hamas attacks on October 7th. Hmm. Well, you can't be surprised by something that you weren't in. 
<laughs> you can't be surprised by something you were involved in the planning of. It doesn't really work that way. It'd be like, it'd be like you know, planning a surprise birthday party and like, whoa, look at all these people. You know, they, they, no one, you don't do that. Doesn't happen. You know, if you're if you're involved in the planning of something, you're not surprised by it. And both the Israeli and American intelligence community have said. Oh, the State Department, I think is uh, National Security Council of State Department, made statements like, we think the Iranians were surprised by this. It took months of planning. You know, it was not, they didn't just, you know, like, you know, the weekend before just hammer this out. This took a while. This took months of planning. <clears throat> and I don't, and, and there's no reason to think the Iranians were involved. And so I, I don't think that that the I don't think that this war is a precursor to anything. I think this is its own thing. I think Hamas planned an attack, carried it out, and Israel got sucker punched, and now they're doing what they sort of do best, and that is murder Palestinians, and they've killed thirteen thousand of them. I don't think this. I don't think there's a greater regional thing at work here at all i don't there's no reason to think that i mean what's the fallout for israel i mean now it's all over the news that they're just bombing gaza to smithereens i mean i think that uh i think that uh netanyahu the prime minister of israel and benjamin netanyahu i think he's sweating it because i think he i think he's aware that this might be the end of his career and I think Joseph Biden in the White House is also sweating it because I think, I mean, the mood has soured. 68% of Americans are in support of a ceasefire. People do not like seeing like dead kids being paraded on the news. It's and all over social media. Too, it's all media. over the place. You can't get away from it. It's all yeah. over the major news outlets. It's in print media, it's on CNN, it's on, it's everywhere. You can't, you know, you can't get away from it. So that the mood has soured. The, the people around the president, uh, they're not thrilled with this. You know, people in government, they're not thrilled with this. Uh, so I think Biden is thinking he could lose the election because of this. So he's sweating it and Netanyahu's sweating it. And I think if there's a greater calculation here, it's at the offices of Netanyahu and Biden. Well, thanks so much for your time, Greg. Uh, where's the best place for people to get this book, The Palestine-Israel Conflict? Uh, I have links on my website, gregoryharms.com. I, I would just say go there, you know, click get on it the through link. That. Yeah, yeah. Get it through your website. Yeah. And you you have other books. What are you working on? I mean, I guess there's probably going to be a fifth edition to this as uh considering what no sadly not the publisher yeah. said this book's showing its age and they're not going to do a fifth edition i was kind of bummed out that's too bad i'm sorry yeah I, I was really looking forward to updating it but i mean I'm, I'm lucky that i got to update it you know three times um yeah I'm, I'm 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 really proud of this fourth edition that the book finally the book got to grow up as it were and got to mature and i got to update it and improve it and tweak the writing here and there because you know writers are never satisfied with what's on the page 
Um, so I got to kind of fuss with this book over the years. And the fourth edition is, yeah, it's something that I'm quite proud of. Uh, what am I working on now? Right now I'm working on a, uh, a, what is tantamount to a sequel to the book that you and I discussed in our previous uh, discussion. Um, it's about um, we take into account we, the, my co-author and I, Michael Slager, we, we look at the public opinion data for you know what what Americans want regarding healthcare and blah 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 of you know poverty alleviation and all this stuff, uh, wealth inequality, and then we we look at the public opinion polls and we we look at what Americans want, and um, we discuss those issues in the context of what the Americans want. So we talk about healthcare, we talk about gun control. We talk about universal basic income, all the stuff in the context of what Americans want. So it's called, so the, the, the working title is centered, centered, centered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully like the people get what they want on the opinion polls. It doesn't seem to be the case these days. No, but, uh, you get, there's a total disconnect between what people, what you see in the public opinion polls and what Americans get. Yeah, they're, right, they're, yeah. they're two different narratives. They're two completely yeah. different stories. Yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame. But uh, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. We covered the book, The Palestine-Israel Conflict, A Basic Introduction. And the guest is Gregory Harms. And I'll put a link to your website. Okay. Always a Thank pleasure, William. So Thank you very much. Great talking with you. Take care. Stay there. Okay. Stay there. Stay there.